As you return to your seats, um, let me remind you that we are in the midst of a series called Repent and Be Loved. Uh, this is a series that we go through each and every year. It's a five-week sermon series on repentance and being loved. If, if you come in the doors of our church, one of the things we want you to see each and every week is the mission of our church, to be loved and love. And this series, hopefully, and prayerfully as I think through it, it is my hope that this is the spark that lights the fire in your heart to be loved and to love, to, to pursue our mission. And so, again, what we're going to do is we're going to look at four of the most uh, significant realities that we must repent of that we might love. And so this morning, that reality that we're going to look at is our significance, our significance. But before we read the scriptures, let me briefly uh, define for you repentance. This is what I was establishing last week with Luke 15. I'm not a guy that's like, oh, go listen to my sermons because I think my sermons are so great. I, I'm not that guy. But if you are curious of how we are defining it and how we unpack repentance, I want to encourage you to do that. Let me briefly define what we mean by repentance. What is repentance according to the scriptures? Repentance according to the scriptures is turning from our godlessness to God. It's turning from our godlessness to God. It is not turning from our godlessness to godliness, as many, many people think. It's turning from our godlessness to God, turning away from ourselves and how we are called to live and do to God. And allowing God to define the terms. And so he, here's what I want to frame. When we're talking about significance today, we want to allow God to define our significance. Turn from the ways that we define our significance, where we want to matter, where we want to have like, hey, look at me, like stand out. We, we want to turn from ourselves and allow God to define that. And so we're going to look at four different passages. And, and, and ultimately, in these four different passages that we're going to look at, it's saying, how does God define my significance? So we're going to turn from the ways that we define our significance and look to God and say, define my significance. That's repentance. So if you will, we've got four different passages of scripture, Mark 9, 33 through 37, Genesis 1, 26 through 27, Romans 5, 6 through 8, and Ephesians 2, 10. If you have a bulletin or if you have your Bible, you can follow along. It's probably going to be easier with the bulletin since we're jumping around a different text. But hear now the reading of God's word, Mark chapter 9. And they, that being the disciples and Jesus, came to Capernaum, a city. And when, when he was in the house, that is Jesus, he asked the disciples, what were you guys discussing on the way? But the disciples kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down, that is Jesus, and he called the 12 together and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now Genesis 1, 26 and 27 then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man, that is humanity, not man as in male, 
man, humanity. He created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And lastly, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The first time that I ever preached, which is you know, the preparation for doing what I felt like God was calling me to do, the first time that I ever preached a sermon was before peers in seminary, which is a school for pastors. And as you can imagine, the first time that I ever was gonna do the thing that I felt like I was called to do, my stomach was in knots. I was sick to my stomach. Oh boy, how is this gonna go? A lot truly was riding on what I thought was gonna happen. So I worked hard. I stressed out about every detail that I was writing. I certainly spent way too much time on a sermon that was only going to be heard by other future pastors. And so I delivered my sermon. And my classmates in listening, they would always give you feedback. And they had some nice things to say. And most of the comments were small, little things. But then I got to my next class. And the oldest person in our class, an Englishman probably in his late 30s, was a man named George. And George had preached 500 sermons. And he, and he came to the United States to learn more theology and to grow in his understanding. And so you can imagine, when George speaks, I'm listening. And so George, we're sitting in the back of the class. George pulls me aside, and I, don't, I have no clue what he's going to say. And he said, I want you to know, Dan, that I was so impressed with your sermon." saying this to me? I mean, I'm like, what? And then he went through all the ways that he thought my sermon was so fabulous. And I'm going, this is my first sermon? I knocked it out of the park? George is like, way to go, what a sermon? I mean, I, I'm like, woo-wee, I am God's gift to preaching, let's go. Now, of course, a few weeks later, the class has me on the schedule again and I gotta preach again. But this time, I, I don't have to preach an easy passage from the book of Mark. I got to preach a hard passage from 2 Kings 5. Now, most of you guys probably don't even know what 2 Kings 5 is. It's a long passage, a beautiful passage, a passage of grace from the Old Testament. So in some ways, I was excited. But as I was preaching, when you preach, you know when you do good and you know when you do bad. <laughs> and as I'm preaching, I see the eyes of the people kind of uh, start wandering. And I can start to feel the sweat on the back of my back start to pool, and I'm going, oh, this is not going good. And it is just falling flat. I don't even know what I'm saying when I'm up there. <laughs> I was like, oh, what's going on? The sermon got done, thankfully, mercifully, it got done. I don't even know how I ended it. But when I got done, that feeling that I had with George in the back of the classroom, it was gone. Gone. I was so dejected. The classmates, once again, they kind of had these nice little sayings, you know, sayings that kind of just fall off you, but truly, I couldn't hear a thing of what they were saying. The sound of my insignificance was so loud 
that anything that anyone said was drowned out. And after the sermon, I, I sat in the back of the chapel where it was, and I was depressed. The significance that I had preaching a fabulous sermon, however fabulous it was, I don't know, but the significance that I felt in doing a good job was now gone when I did a bad job. Let me ask you this. You ever felt that? That depression, that insignificance when you've done a bad job or when you, when you wanted to do something well and it just fell flat? Have you felt that? Look, much of this is rooted in this belief that our significance is determined by what we've done, what we do, or even what we will do. So we look to ourselves to establish the significance of our life. And of course, we think this way because as we look at the world, we say, that is how significance is determined. I mean, what athletes are the ones that we celebrate? The ones that have won more championships and have greater accomplishments than anyone else. I mean, we know Michael Jordan now because his brand is all over the place. My kids know who Michael Jordan is, and he, had, he, he hasn't played since the 90s. But he was so significant in the 90s that his brand is still existing today because what he did, what he finished, and what he accomplished made him more significant than anyone else. But it's beyond just athletics. The women that we look up to are the ones that are the most beautiful and have the biggest following on their social media. These are the ones that we say they're significant. We give them a voice because they're pretty. We define significance by strength, skill, beauty, intelligence, money, friends, wisdom, courage, clout, power, who you know, who you don't know. And so when we see this, we naturally think the same thing. If I'm going to be significant, if I'm gonna have this this, ve- this emptiness in my heart filled, this desire for significance, then I've got to do something. And I've got to do something profoundly. And I better not do the wrong thing. And my friends, this creates this roller coaster life, this up and downness that I experienced early on in preaching. When I did well, oh, I was on cloud nine. When I did poor, I mean, I was depressed, couldn't see anything. Now, here's the thing. The disciples of Jesus are no different than you and I. They truly aren't. In Mark chapter 9, we find Jesus confronting the disciples who were arguing over what? Who among them was the greatest? I mean, they're, they're just having like, who's got the biggest? Like, I'm the best disciple of Jesus. Like, look what I did. Yeah, no, man. Oh, look what I did. You see what I did? And Jesus is sitting there going, oh, my goodness. Oh, my Guys, sit down, sit down. And he confronts them, the very disciples of Jesus, the ones who saw Jesus are struggling with the same thing that we struggle with. Where do we find significance? And Jesus sits them down and he gives them an incredibly important lesson. And I want you to see this. It's just one little phrase that I want you to see. And Jesus is redefining for them how significance is earned. It's a really short phrase. He says this. He sits him down. He says, if anyone would be first, what? He must be last of all and servant of all. For the sake of time today, I want you to see this. In this one little phrase, Jesus is doing two different things that helps us understand what he's saying about our significance. 
First, he's doing this. He affirms the desire for significance in you. He affirms that desire for significance. Here's what I mean. Notice that Jesus doesn't rebuke them for arguing about the greatest, right? He understands that they desire this greatness, this significance, but look at how he defines it. He says, if anyone would be first, that is, if anyone wants to be significant, he must be last of all and servant of all. Jesus here is affirming this desire for significance. If anyone would be first, the desire to be significant is not ungodly. It is not improper. So if we take this into context where I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to repent of your significance, what I'm asking is you to not repent and to turn from this desire for significance because Jesus doesn't ask you to turn from that desire. What he's telling them is where you find that significance. It's not the desire for significance that's wrong. It's where you find the desire. And that's the second thing that I want you to see. Hear how Jesus redefines how significant comes. It's by being the last of all and the servant of all. It's not because someone is the best and the brightest. Rather, it is those who are the last. Saying differently, it is those who are humble. And it is also those who serve. That is, those who have at the center of their heart serving others. Significance comes, according to Jesus, through humility and service. This is entirely antithetical to the way that we think significance comes, is it not? It's humility and service, not ability and hustle. Humility and service. This morning, here's what I want you to do. I want you all to embrace the humility and service that Jesus puts before us that we might be significant. I want you to be rid of this constant roller coaster of, am I significant? I'm insignificant. I'm significant. I'm insignificant. I want you to stop riding that roller coaster. I want you to embrace the humility and service that Jesus puts before us that we might be and know our significance. Now, how are we going to do this? How are we going to embrace the humility and service that Jesus puts before us? Well, just for the sake of, of preaching, we've got to embrace three phrases. Three phrases, and I'm going to unpack these three phrases, but we've got to embrace these if we're going to be significant or experience the significance that Jesus defines for us. Three phrases. He made me. He saved me. He called me. We're going to embrace these three phrases that we might experience the humility and know it and serve others and therefore experience the significance from Jesus. So let us turn from seeking significance in ourselves and let Jesus do this by embracing the three phrases. He made me, he saved me, he called me. First, he made me. How do we embrace this phrase, he made me? I want you to turn your attention to Genesis 1. There we read that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. In verse 27, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And I want you to see this. This text communicates something incredibly important about our significance. All people are made in the image of God. As you look at me and you look around, every one of us is significant by the mere fact that we are made in the image of God. 
There is nothing more marvelous in this whole world than a human being. God has a completely different perspective of humans than the rest of creations. That is because we bear his image. And what this means, according to theologians, is that humans um, don't bear the physical attributes of God, but they rather reflect God in the presence of a will, emotions, and reason, the ability to think and to act creatively, the ability to interact socially with one another. We are like God in these ways. But I want you to see this. The world doesn't, doesn't equate equality with all people based off of being made in the image of God. The world defines significance on utility. So whether it be the way that we consider children in the womb or the way that we view enemies in war, the significance of a human according to the world is based on what they can do or what they can't do or what they will do. Utility. But God says no. Value is not determined by what you've done, what you do, or what you will do or can do. Your value is determined by me. And what I say of you is that you are made in my image. The significance of that already screams to us the significance of who we are. Consider a moment. Consider for a moment what the world would be like if all humans were taken out of this world. Or, or, or said differently, if you had the chance to go to Mars and you got to be the one person on Mars, you might think, oh, that would be so neat. Yeah, for like a day, a two. And why would it be good for only a day or two because there's no humans there the most beautiful thing in this whole world uh, the most significant thing in all of the world are the people sitting next to you they're the most beautiful and significant things you will interact with uh some of you guys know that i i love to coach and and i spend a lot of time coaching benjamin's soccer team and today get this i got asked to be his hockey coach and he's so pumped Today, I got to be, I was like, yes. And as you can imagine, as a coach, not only of my son, but of other teams, I, I want to value all of these kids. I want them to love the sports. Right now, we're into ice hockey. I want them to do that. And, and, and that's great. I, I think they deserve that, especially as a coach. I'm always happy for the other kids when they have fun, they learn the game, and they do good. But let me tell you something. There's one player on that team that's more significant than the others. You know that, right? Like, I'll cheer just as loud for them as I will for Benjamin. But there's one person more significant than any of those players. And that's my son, Benjamin. And that's because he's made in my image. He bears my resemblance. Benjamin should know that he's significant because he's mine. I, I, I didn't make him. Like, I mean, we can go there. I made him. <laughs> he's just like me. And because of that, he has greater significance in my life than any of those other boys. And the same goes for you. Since you are made by God and in his image, you carry a far greater significance than the world even conveys to you. And this significance is not dependent on what you do, what you can do, or will do. It is simply because God has said, you are made in my image. It is so heartbreaking to me to see godly people, though, treating others in an ungodly manner. Or, or, or even people not of the church treating people in ungodly manner. Whether we demonize others uh, of, of a different political perspective. Or we consider animals 
to be more significant than humans. Do not kill a puppy. I mean, I'm, I'm not against killing, I mean, like, I'm, I, that, that's bad. I, but we would, we would, with horror in our heart, think, a puppy died? But then we hear about a baby, like, being aborted, and you're like, eh, what? This is the worldly ways. This is, this is the stuff that makes it hard for us to think, oh, my significance is based on what I do or what I don't do. God turns us on ahead. He made me, you can say to yourself. And because he made me, I am significant. Do you believe that? That you are indeed significant for the, the mere fact that you are made in God's image. I know many of you do that. But our, 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 our embracing the significance that, that comes from Jesus, of this humility and servant of all, begins at least there by saying to yourself, he made me, I am significant. But I will admit to you that this lacks a personal touch that really can get to our heart. You know, the thing that our heart needs more than anything else is not just kind of like, you know, he made all of us in his image. That's, that's helpful. We need a personal touch. And that's where this second phrase comes in that I want you to embrace. He saved me. So he made me. Secondly, he saved me. Turn your attention to Romans 5, 6 through 8. Look at what it says. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For, so, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't want you to read through this passage quickly. I want you to kind of savor it a little bit. This passage clearly articulates that Christ died for his church while they were still sinners. He saved his church, not because the church did something good, right? It wasn't because they did something right or they were gonna do something right. No, he saved them before they even did something right. He saved them actually when they were thumbing their nose at him. God, I don't want you. I'm gonna still die for you. I want you to consider, though, this idea of significance based off of, of, of utility. You know, th this significance is, you know, is really determined by the classic formula of supply and demand. So here's what I mean by that. If there's a limited supply and a high demand, what's the value of that object? It's going to be great. The significance of that object is going to be great. Hit skill, high demand, high significance. Likewise, the opposite. If there's an abundance of supply and low demand, there's low price. So if you just are just one of 100 people, <laughs> you're going to experience this insignificance according to the world. So we take this to heart and we believe that if we stand out and perform above others, we will be significant. And if we don't, we'll be blending into the crowd and therefore insignificant. God turns this on its head, you realize that, right? Like literally turns it on its head. It's not dependent on you. It's only dependent on God. The significance that he speaks to his church is dependent on God, not the church. Romans 5 turns it on its head. It wasn't because we were great. 
wasn't because we had great skill or obedience that led Jesus to die for his church. It wasn't skill, it wasn't obedience, it wasn't our significance, it was simply his love. And his love, while we were still sinners, led him to the cross where he bled and died for his church. God suffered the greatest price that anyone has, their life, for his church. He paid the highest price for the worst people. He gave his perfect life to pay for the sins of those he called on the cross. It was a heinous death, but it was a death to pay for our punishment. And we must see this. The significance of the church is based on his life that was laid down for us. He bled and he died for you and I that it might save us from our sin. Why would he do such a thing? Why would he hold the church in such high regard? Why does he look at the church and say, these are the most significant people in all the world, not just everyone, but personally? These are the most significant people that I'm going to save by laying down my life. Why would he do this? Why? That's the question that leads us. You know why? Because he loved us. And he loved us because he loved us. It's one of the great mysteries of the scriptures. And we see this both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Deuteronomy 7 says this quite profoundly. Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors. He loved you because he loved you. He died for you because he loved you. You are significant because he loved you. Do you trust that? Do you trust that Jesus' actions, him coming to earth, dying a death that you deserved, coming back to life and overcoming death, communicates to us a significance that's not based on anything that we've done? Can you believe that? Can you humbly receive the fact that Jesus says to the church, you are significant because I've bought you with a price even when you were sinners? There's a great book I want to encourage you, especially you, you, you that have um, kids. And I want you to read this book. Get it. Maybe you can go on Amazon afterwards. It's a book. It's a children's book called Just Because You're Mine. It's the story of a little squirrel who's curious as to why his daddy tells him that he loves him. Now, the squirrel in the book bounces around the entire forest trying to figure out the why of his dad's love. And so he says, Dad, 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 look at what I can do. I jump from a branch to branch. Do you love me because I'm so brave? <laughs> the dad says no. And then the son comes and he says, okay, okay, I'm gonna collect all these berries. And he collects all these berries and he shows his dad, look at all these berries that I got for us, dad. Do you love me because I'm good at collecting all these berries? <laughs> the dad just says, no, I don't love me because he can collect berries. Then, then, he, then he sees his reflection. I think he sees his reflection. I'm, just, I'm not butchering it. But he says, dad, do you love me because I'm so handsome? And the dad goes, no, son. I don't love you because you're handsome. The day goes long, and the little squirrel gets tired, so tired that the daddy has to pick up the squirrel on his shoulder or on his arms, and he holds him, and he's walking him in, puts the little squirrel to bed. And right before the little squirrel goes to bed, the dad says to his little squirrel, he says, buddy, I'm proud that you are so brave. 
I'm proud that you're so good at collecting berries and you are handsome. But that's not why I love you. I love you just because you're mine. And that is the truth of the church. Christian, our significance is not based on anything that we do. And we could do some great things, beautiful things. But our significance is not based in what we do, what we can do, what we will do. Our significance is based on the fact that we are his. And he has bought us with a price. With his own body and blood. Broken and shed for us on the cross. In receiving this truth, this is where we find humility. You're saying I'm significant? Yes, because you're mine. Oh, that we would embrace this truth, that he made me and he saved me. Because then we'll have humility. We'll say, I'm not, I'm last of all, which is exactly what Jesus says is the first thing for those who are great and significant. But there's one last phrase that I want you to embrace. Not only that he, he made me, he saved me, there's one last one. He called me. He called me. He made me, he saved me, he called me. And I want you to see in Ephesians 2, as we look to this, this is exactly what it says. Look at how it starts. We are his workmanship. He worked in us. He did all this stuff. He put us together. He made me. He saved me. He made me exactly how, I want, how he wanted it to be. And he created me in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are not called to just delight in our significance, guys. I want you to know that. Though we can, and we should. And delighting in our significance is indeed first. Wow, I can't believe he made me and saved me. But it's not to be there. It's be loved and to love. And the, the, the call on your life, the good works and the love that you're called is always based in his love for you first. That's why be loved comes before love. You are called and you're called to live in this world in the reality of his workmanship in you, that he made you and he saved you. This is antithetical to, to the world. Again, I want to take you back, and maybe this is going to give some people some like trauma for them because it's awful, but I want to take you back to the schoolyard. You guys remember the schoolyard? I didn't have a trouble with this, but maybe you did. Schoolyard ball teams are picked one by one, aren't they not? Of course, the best gets picked first. That's why it wasn't a problem for me. I'm just kidding. The pride and arrogance on me is, is a joke, okay? But you pick the teams one by one, and the best players are always picked as captains, and then they always pick the best players for their team after that. And of course, I always dreaded the moment that I wasn't picked as a captain or one of the first places. I mean, I still dread this in pickup games today. Will I be picked? Do they know that I'm good? Am I good? And the, the effect of that comes after me. If I'm picked last, what do you think it puts in my heart? I'm going to show these jokers what's up. I'm going to show them what's up. Why? Because I'm falling into the ways of this world. 
the way of Jesus literally turns it on its head. If I'm picked last, whatever. I'll play the game. This is what I'm going to do. But I don't have to play the game justifying myself. And it's the same with our life. Jesus has called you to work in this world in light of his redemption, in light of being made in him. Work, church. Work in light of his great salvation for you. The question, and this is where I want to finish this point, is how are you called to work? Where has Jesus called you to work from the foundation of the world? There's four different areas I want you to see, and I, I can't say all the different ways, and I'm not going to get into each and every unique way. You're like, where do you worship? Where do you worship? Where you worship, and the people that you see each and every week amidst the church of God, this is where Jesus has called you to work. Secondly, where do you live? I mean, your neighbors are the people that share the street with you. If you live in an apartment, the hallways of your apartment, this is where God has called you to work. So where you worship, where you live, where do you play? Where do you play? I know you guys play. You play basketball, hockey. <laughs> you run, you go to the gym, where you, where you play, why don't you take some time to, to meet people and actually demonstrate to them that regardless of who they are, that they're significant because they're made in God's image and you get to know them and you ask them where they're from and you have conversations with them. You, you know, one of, the, one of my favorite, you know, this is not necessarily where I play, but this week um, I've been going to the same barber for year after year after year and this week, we had a wonderful conversation on this sermon because I keep going back to her and she knows that I'm a pastor and she goes, pastor, what you preaching on? And I was able to just interact with her and share what I was doing and you can see in her life how it blessed her when I shared the message. Where you play. I mean, you might not be able to share the message of Jesus' salvation every single time, but in, but in developing relationships where you play, you can have that opportunity. Where do you play? Finally, where do you work? So not only where you, where you worship, where you live, where you play, but where do you work? This is where God's called you to be. God has called you to be a light to your coworkers. God has called you to do your job well and to see that your job is a service to other people. And that could be, you know, mopping floors and, and bathrooms. Like you realize mopping the floors of a bathroom is a great thing for all of us. I mean, we walked into that hockey rink yesterday and the sewage was spewing out of a pipe and I was going, that's horrible. Someone's got to clean that up. And you know what? They did clean it up and I'm grateful for it. What a service that was to me. There is nothing that you do. There, there, there's not a job in this world that is not significant. It is a blessing. So begin to see your job as a blessing to others. It is significant regardless of what you do. So this is where we are called to do good works, where we worship, where we live, where we play, where we work. Church, do good works in those places. But don't do it to try to earn your significance. Do it because you have your significance. Let me close with this. Um, last year at this time, John Mark and I were talking about how social media has really made it difficult for us to embrace 
the significance that Jesus gives to us, not based off of anything that we've done or what we, you know, all this stuff. And social media seems to always put before us the people that are the most significant are those with the most followers, the perfect look and feel, and the per- people that, that want to do this. And it's to the point now where any event that you go to, any big event, it's always like, take a picture with the person. It's like, give this best life. And, and, and then it creates in all of us this like, oh gosh, I don't get to do those things. I'm not as significant. I don't get to meet those people. And here's the thing. This is, this is where John Mark, I love it. It's such a good thing. John Mark was saying this about social media. He's like, you know, when we see all this social media, social media is like this large room where everyone has megaphones, and they're trying their very best to say, look at me, look at me, look at me, I want to be significant, look at me. But then every once in a while, one of those megaphones will be elevated above others and knocks everyone down, and that person for a moment gets elevated above everyone else. But then a cat video comes around, and that person loses his megaphone. (laughs) Are you tired, my friends, of your significance being challenged by cat videos? Every small mistake you make sends you down into a depressive spiral going, I'm not that significance. Oh, that we would hear the words of Jesus, that if you are going to be first, you must be last of all and servant of all. Oh, that we might repent of seeking our significance by what we do, by what we don't do, by what we can do or will do, and turn and receive from God the three phrases that I've put in front of you. He made me, he saved me, he called me. In embracing these three phrases, friends, we will find the significance that keeps us sane, that keeps us off the roller coaster of life, that makes us incredibly nauseous. Embrace those three phrases. Let me pray. Lord, we give thanks to you for your word, how it communicates to us the truth of our life. In embracing this truth, oh Lord, we find great peace. We find great hope. We find an exit ramp from this world. We find peace. Oh, that we would exit this ramp, that we would turn from the ways that we seek significance in our own strength and receive from you our significance. Yes, oh Lord, you made us and you made us special. Yes, oh Lord, you saved us. You saved us from our sin even while we were still sinners, thumbing our nose at you. You saved us. And you have indeed called us in light of our great salvation. Oh, that we would be people that receive these and serve. Amen.